0: This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 182, Spotlight on Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Welcome to Comic Shenanigans, episode 182. This is our Spotlight on the Dawn of the Planet of the Apes episode. Uh, This time around, um, which is unlikely for our or not unlikely. Uh, rare for our movie episodes. In fact, I think this is the first time I'm actually doing a spotlight um, movie episode on my own. Unfortunately, I didn't have, wasn't able to get the scheduling right and be able to uh, see this film with someone else who was able to do the podcast. Uh, don't worry, loyal listeners. I didn't see the movie alone. Sad. One guy in the movie theater. No, I did I did have an accompaniment, just not someone who was comfortable with doing a podcast. So this will just be me uh, rambling a little for, about Dawn of the Planet of the Apes for a little bit. won't be as long as our usual Spotlight episodes, as it's just me and not someone else for me to kind of uh, go uh, back and forth with. Um, so I got to see Dawn of the Planet of the Apes yesterday, so that would have been the 13th of July opening weekend. Um, I found this to be an extremely enjoyable film. Uh, I really liked Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, I've always kind of been a fan. I remember late 90s was my first opportunity to actually watch the original Planet of the Apes. Um, in Canada, it was relatively early days and we had a, a space channel in Canada that was relatively new at the time. And I remember every week they would show Planet of the Apes, uh, but a different movie in the cycle. So within like a month and a bit, I got to watch the original Planet of the Apes uh, and the rest of the films in the, uh, the franchise. Uh, For those unfamiliar with the franchise, I mean, it started in 1968 with the classic film with Charlton Heston. um, Was then continued in the. Much less successful, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, at least critically. I mean, it's not the best movie. It does bring back um, the original character uh, with Charlton Heston for a little bit. Um, and then had another sequel in 1971. Um, it's actually interesting if you look at it. Planet of the Apes was in 68. Then you had the second movie in 70. Then 71, 72, 73. So every year you had a new Planet of the Apes movie. That's kind of a breakneck speed. Um, so you had Beneath the Planet of the Apes uh that the from there they kind of made it difficult to do a sequel but they figured out a way and they did escape from the Planet of the apes which to be honest is from a sci-fi concept is one of the more interesting ones because we start to see how escape from Planet of the apes and conquest of the Planet of the apes are the ones that really show how it all is a giant circle that without the events of the first two movies occurring uh you could not even have given rise to the future that they landed in in the first place um or at least theoretically. I mean, it, it, it's an interesting the loop. Um, I And from a science fiction perspective, I think it's really, really cool. And then it continued in battle for the Planet of the Apes. And then I remember as a kid, they kept having more and more of them. And I realized later on that every after they ran out of the movies, this particular network, they were starting to air the Planet of the Apes television show, uh, which had an on, obviously ongoing characters. Uh, So I actually had a chance to watch all that stuff. So when it was all rebooted in the Planet of the Apes film in 2001, I was super excited. And I think a lot of people were. And obviously there were a lot of advancements in technology at the time... And like, makeup, and it looked really cool. And the movements were cool for the apes. And it was by, with Mark Wahlberg, Tim Roth, and Helena Bonham Carter. Unfortunately, it was a little bit confusing at times. Estella Warren, not a great actress either. Um, and it was kind of a middle-of-the-road film at the end of the day. It definitely had some interesting concepts. but And the ending was going for that kind of surprise, oh my god, what the fuck kind of moment. Which the original one was predicated on. I mean, if you go back to the original Planet of the Apes, it's kind of a fun lark it's not really till you get to the end sequence and you realize what it means that it changes everything about the film. Uh, in fact, it, it's kind of like uh, The Sixth Sense in that way, like or in any M. Night Shyamalan movie in some ways, uh, that the ending is really what it all pivots upon, and that's what's most remembered. And then it's it, it's 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 kind of a middle of the road. it's a good movie it's a fun movie but then when you get to the ending and it's like holy shit that's what changes everything and subsequent viewings would always be different it was the later of the Planet of the movies which really kind of uh, it took more pains to explain how this planet ever even happened uh, and actually explain its origins and relatively entertainingly um so when they did the remake in 2011 the rise of the planet of the apes i was really you know i wasn't sure what to expect from it i mean i've always liked the franchise since i first started watching it so i was going to give it a shot and i remember just being blown away by how interesting it was and uh it, it felt very kind of you know not that far flung in terms of what could actually be done uh the steps that could be taken in genetic engineering, etc., and uh, resulting in this kind of super-ape. A much more down-to-earth, plausible reaction than having the ape that creates the Planet of the Apes be the product of two apes from the future who've escaped from the Planet of the Apes in a different film. Again, I love crazy sci-fi, and that's fun, but it doesn't really work for our more grounded, realistic uh, sensibilities these days, where everyone tries to make everything so plausible, almost to the uh, detriment of their storytelling sometimes. I mean... The old school kind of films sometimes had a, a they, there was a certain flight of fancy. They just kind of did things, and sometimes they were funny and silly, and they didn't, weren't necessarily as, as concerned with explaining why and how and grounding it, and now it just seems like there's much more of an emphasis towards grounding it. and if you can't ground it, you're going to lose your audience. At least that's the perception, I believe. So Rise of the Planet Apes was fantastic, and Andy Serkis just nailed it. Uh, his motion capture, I mean, obviously, has become legendary in, in, in the industry. And technology has kind of moved forward as well. So you have the progress in CGI, etc., as well as the de- further development of, of what you can do with motion capture. And uh, and he was just absolutely amazing as the character of Caesar. And when that film ended, I mean, I, I guess I never really felt felt like it needed to have a sequel which may be very naive. I mean, obviously it was going to, although the last one didn't, probably because it didn't do that well. Um, but, I mean, it, it kind of had an interesting ending that, you know, the apes kind of took off on their own, and you have this idea that there is a flu out there, that one of the techs was, like, kind of infected with it and died, and, you know, they kind of had these elements of what could happen, but didn't necessarily need to happen or need to be shown. Uh, again, everyone kind of understands the, the theoretical concept of the plan of the Apes. Uh, the apes basically end up taking over and the humans kill each other off that's essentially how it works right um and so here it's they play with it a little bit differently so in dawn of the planet of the apes we're moving forward i think it's what 10 years um since what happened the events of the first film the simian flu was a major outbreak which again feels like something that could theoretically happen. I mean, you see whenever you have a SARS outbreak or an H1N1, like, people freak out, and they're not necessarily that dangerous epidemics. I mean, there are epidemics, but the actual amount of people infected and then die is... Breathtakingly low in comparison to something like the simian flu in this film that decimates the human population. And what I like about it is is it not just showing what it, the effect it has on human beings, but also the human beings' ability to maintain infrastructure, etc. Like it breaks down your family units are being destroyed, uh, governmental units, uh, the, the ability to even keep power on. Like it actually, in some ways, reminded me of Revolution, the now canceled TV series from NBC that was a, a, this idea of the lights go out the power can't work in that reality in that that story it couldn't work at all and so what what happens to humanity after that so it flash forwards I think it was like what 10 20 years or something I think maybe less than that because they weren't the children weren't that old but uh, it goes forward a certain amount of time and you see that the cities are run over and um, you know everything's kind of overgrowth of plant life etc there is no technology and what people have to kind of go back to in order to be able to survive so we see a little bit of that here now what's most interesting about this film is that the main protagonists really are the apes i mean the humans are more there because they have not because they have to be because it's a natural antagonist to show you know what's happened to humanity as well as what's happened to the ape culture ape culture has actually flourished it's They've built homes uh, uh, you know, of a kind. They have a, you know, a, a shared dwelling. They have family units, uh, a very interesting command structure. Um, you know, it, it's, it, they've evolved in, in some ways, whereas humanity has devolved because they don't have access to the culture, to the creature comforts they're used to, or even the, the what they would consider to be essentials, so that they're kind of living off as much as they can of what remains of their prior world uh and much of the beginning of the film like the first scenes of the film obviously are to catch us up on what happened in the last uh, movie just to quickly show us the simian flu outbreak and then we kind of move forward and then mainly what we're seeing is the ape culture so we're seeing you know the apes have learned how to hunt in squads like at first you're not sure what they're hunting and then you realize that they're not hunting humans at all they are hunting like prey uh, so that they can eat them. It's, it's really phenomenally interesting to see them hunting in packs and then Caesar has a son now who gets scarred um, by a bear attack and that's, to be honest, one of his dis- defining characteristics and he, ma- he makes him easy to pick out of a crowd for the rest of the film. Uh, the apes in some ways are given a lot more personality than the human characters. Uh, we see more of the ape culture and understand more of it than really understanding how this society of humans has been able to kind of band together what their command structure like we actually get to know more of the of the uh, apes and they are predominantly the protagonists i mean they're the most interesting characters uh to see how they interact i mean in a lot of ways the apes in this movie function kind of like the x-men and i know that sounds like a weird thing to say but you have their pragmatic you know uh piece more more into peace um Leader, uh, so that's Caesar basically as the professor Xavier, you know, he, he's preaching peace. He's willing to trust. Uh, he's seen the best of humanity, so he wants to believe that they, that not all humanity is going to be what Koba is used to. Coba, on the other hand, is kind of the Magneto mentality that he has seen the worst of humanity. He was tortured. Uh, he was in a cage. He, he has a very negative outlook on humanity. So he thinks to hell with them we don't need them they should all die I wish they were dead and then when he finds out that they're still alive and and that there's weapons all he wants to do is wage war to destroy them he is driven purely by rage I mean obviously he does want to in some ways protect his race Again, I guess this is where he kind of is different than Magneto, but because he does want to protect his race, but he's not necessarily against threatening and killing his race to achieve his ends. He's much more driven by revenge. But there are some similarities to a character like Magneto, who is much more about forcefulness. He can't—they can't. There's no such thing as peaceful coexistence. Whereas Caesar is pr- is pr- preaching that yes, perhaps we can peacefully coexist with these human beings. Uh, we don't have to kill them. They don't have to kill us. Why can't we just? You know, coexist, especially with the humans being so, you know, dwindled in numbers, whereas the, the apes are so much more now. There, Caesar wants to believe that there could be a peace of some kind. Um, so, I, this is a, a really good movie. Andy Serkis again is just phenomenal in the the role of Caesar. Um, The voice work is fantastic. Like The way that the apes speak, I like that they don't make it like this. it's this easy thing. We see them speaking in their own sign language and they're able to have communications with each other. But then I like that when he speaks, it's like this guttural, almost like it would hurt to speak. And maybe that's also because it's the idea that he doesn't usually have to talk. Um, But yeah, this was just very blunt and I really liked how that was carried out. Um, I also like that we saw, uh, like, some of the characters from the first film are still here. Uh, Maurice, who's, I guess, the third in command, um, absolutely love Maurice. I liked him in the first movie. Uh, I like him more in the second movie. Uh, again, the, the ape characters are so much more dynamic uh, in terms of their personalities and their worldviews. Uh, I also like the fact that, you know, Caesar has a son, a grown son, relatively grown, and then he, who's kind of... Actually, again, to go back to the X Men metaphor, it kind of reminded me of Ultimate X Men. You know, had Cyclops was in again. They kind of made it that he was actually kind of was working for Xavier, but still, he was in Xavier's camp, and then he kind of got swayed to the dark side. And maybe, maybe Xavier's side wasn't right, and that's what kind of what we see here with um, with uh, the son, with Blue Eyes, who's uh, Caesar's son, that he kind of wavers, and that's again, you have these staunch characters where Koba is definitely the more militant one uh, and then you have the more peace-loving Caesar and then you have to have kind of a character in the middle who's you see a personal struggle so you have him dealing with uh, his place within the family and the greater family of the apes and also within the family of him and his dad Caesar and his mother um, who I forget her name is what her name is um, just trying to find it here I guess Cornelia who I had no idea played by Judy Greer Oh, okay I mean I don't see it obviously because um, you know it's motion capture but it's interesting that you have these actors playing these characters um, also you have uh, Toby Cabell is, uh, is Koba and I thought his portrayal of Koba was just fantastic um, it was really interesting to see uh, I can't remember if he was actually played uh, uh, what's his name uh, Koba in the last movie I don't think he did uh, in fact, I don't know if Koba was really played by anyone in particular, um, but Koba is just a fantastic character as well. Because uh, again, you understand why he hates the humans. Like that's what I like about the ape characters is that none of them act out of a, an emotion that doesn't make sense. I mean, the humanity of of um, the apes is very much on hand here, and it makes sense why he wants to. To destroy them. Like, we've seen what he went through um, as he was kind of gaining his intelligence and in, in being treated with the drug, and he's never been able to let that anger go. And it makes a lot of sense, because you know, who wouldn't be that pissed off? Um, and, uh, yeah. So, I mean, this is uh, really interesting. Um, again, the the, the motion capture is brilliant. The way that the apes move, um, the way that they show Caesar kind of rising above the rest of the apes Uh, there's just such a so many levels to this film because it's not just an action film it's not just apes versus humans there's a lot more going on you have obviously two different factions apes and humans but within both those factions you have those who would kill the apes and those who would want to work with them and and, and in fact are much more fascinated by them I haven't even really spoken of um, the, uh, the human cast so we have Jason Clarke as Malcolm who, to be honest, I don't even know if I know Jason Clark from anything else. Um, I'm just kind of giving a quick look at his filmography of late. I guess he's in the upcoming Terminator Genesis as John Connor. I had no idea about that. Um, I ha- I never saw Zero Dark 30, uh, so I didn't know he was in that. He's been in a, a lot of films, I, I just haven't seen him in anything. So, this is my first major um, kind of f- film to see him in. I, I did like his portrayal of the character. Um, Malcolm is very much the idealist, and much the way that James Franco's character was in the last film. Uh, we have Gary Oldman as Dreyfus, who's the leader of the survivors that are going to go to the war with the apes. Um, I love Gary Oldman. I mean, obviously, he's in hot water recently because of the, some of the things he said in a recent interview, but I like him as an actor. Um, I like. It's interesting too because I mean, one of his more most recent roles obviously was as commissioner gordon in the batman films and that was obviously a very kind of iconic role and he did such a brilliant job in it and then it's interesting because i kind of start to think of him as being that kind of heroic character although he's not always played heroes and here he's much more of of a not of outright villain obviously because again like koba he's motivated by survival Uh, actually not revenge sorry so he's not really like koba but he's motivated by survival and he thinks that the apes cannot be trusted and that they have to be destroyed now that being said he starts to believe this more when they do kind of go run amok so I mean again you can't fault him for his beliefs I mean he's a little bit fanatical in that he basically sacrifices his life to kill some apes um, which was an interesting touch but I mean again I like that he's not an outright villain he's an antagonist for the apes who are given to us as protagonists but if you had switched the film around just a little bit and given us more of the humans and less of the apes, less of a reason to believe in them and trust them and change it just a little bit he would be a heroic character because he's willing to sacrifice himself to save the rest of humanity and I mean the fact that it, they address this at one point in the film where you have uh, one of the members of um, Malcolm's party is the one who he shoots one of the apes at the beginning of the film, and he's always kind of like wanting to kill them. And it's because, and this kind of goes into the idea that our culture has been so uh, accustomed to being kind of brainwashed by media, is that he's been kind of brainwashed by media to believe that it was called the simian flu. So he is thinking that it's the apes' fault that were that humanity's mostly dead, uh, that everything's fallen apart, that everyone's lost their family, that Malcolm lost his wife that um his, his his current girlfriend uh or I guess sorry Malcolm's second wife I didn't realize that they were married I guess they were Kara Russell plays Ellie uh she's lost a daughter like they've lost the family um uh, the um Gary Oldman character has lost his entire family in fact when the power briefly goes on and yes they're, they're I haven't even talked about that part of the plot the humans basically need the the apes help or at least allowance to go through their territory to activate an old dam uh, so that they can power some of the generators and and give power back to the small coalition of survivors in San Francisco. Um, So, I mean, when he briefly gets power back and he's able to have his tablet come on, he's able to see his family again. So everyone's lost something, and there is no real right side here i mean obviously some people go a little bit too far in terms of the uh the violence etc but there is a reason for it in some way um so there's no out and out villain which i did like about the film is that it's not saying that humans are inherently evil it's not saying that, that apes are inherently evil it's saying that we're both kind of conditioned by what happens to us in our past Koba is angry because of the way he was treated by human beings not because of any other reason uh, Caesar and, and is the flip side he only got to know love and trust and, and understanding from humans because he had an amazing relationship with uh, the James Franco character so he believes the best he wants to believe in the best because he's seen what the best can be in humanity um, and, and so it, it's just it's a very interesting film because it doesn't try to take the easy way out it tells a multi-layered story with a lot of different textures to the different characters um, there's a part in the film where uh, Ash who is uh, I guess the son of Rocket who's one of uh, Caesar's friends um, he he's a friend of Blue Eyes so actually he's the one who shot early on but survives uh, he's shot by one of the uh, humans uh, early on in the film uh, which is kind of an inc- one of the main inciting incidents to kind of feed into Koba's belief that they can't be trusted and that humans are dangerous and that they should be killed. Um, But there is a a really heart-wrenching sequence where, um, while, so I haven't even really, again, talked a lot about the plot, but I didn't want to spoil too much for those who haven't seen it, but if you have, I mean, I'm spoiling a little bit. Um, You definitely have the idea that Koba is able to kind of take Caesar out of the equation uh, framing the humans for it, and then is able to kind of convince the apes to take the fight to the humans and, and kill them. So they're all armed, you know, with their guns and they're riding horses. Um, and so they're they're capturing all the humans and, and putting them in cages like Copa used to be. And at one point, um, there's a little bit of dissension and basically, Ash says, no, I'm not going to do this. Caesar wouldn't want this. And which is, I really like that someone stood up for that because, Koba theoretically is, is trying to get everyone to fight the humans by using uh, the loss of Caesar or the supposed death of Caesar as an incident, to, an incident to basically show that it's necessary and that they're honoring their fallen comrade, their fallen leader. But Ash basically says no, that's not what he would have wanted and um, he is brutally murdered. Um, and it is it is shocking, it is disturbing. I was like oh no, Like you really feel for the character and it says a lot to the like the ability of the uh, the CGI in this film, that you really believe that these these apes, that these characters that you're seeing, are real. Um, uh, they're I mean, the way that they animate the hair on them, like everything looks perfect. Like they look so realistic. So when you see have this ape basically picked up and chucked off this uh, this balcony and di- and just falls and dies, it's shocking, especially because it's a character that you come to like. He's relatively innocent because he's again. A teenager basically like you have these two teenagers um ash and blue eyes and they're kind of our point of view characters that are they've grown up not knowing really much about the humans they don't know that they should be trusted like uh, caesar believes or that they shouldn't be trusted like um coba believes they are kind of in some ways indifferent their first real interaction with humans is with ash being shot um And again, there's a really great father-son kind of mechanic in this film that not just for the humans, and I haven't even talked about that, but uh, Alexander, who is Malcolm's son, slowly starts to understand his son and also understand Ellie, his new wife, and they're able to kind of come out of this adventure stronger as a family, uh, which also is what happens with the Apes. So you have a parallel story happening uh, on the Ape side because you have uh, Blue Eyes kind of growing up bristling under you know caesar's beliefs and and caesar you know just not wanting to hear what his dad has to say to him anymore i mean what what son hasn't gone through that or any uh child for that matter hasn't gone through that piece where they're kind of like you know shut up mom dad like i can do my own thing and we're seeing that here uh and he's kind of throwing in with uh a dangerous uh dangerous um military leader um one thing that was interesting here as well is I like seeing the different types of, uh, of apes that are yeah, part of this growing family, so it's not just chimpanzees. It's also like, I don't even know exactly what you'd say Maurice is, but you have Maurice, um, yeah, like you have different types of apes, and I like that because in the original film, you definitely had a few different, you had the main chimpanzees, you had, um, I don't know what Dr. Zayas was supposed to be, but you had kind of the science class, and then the gorillas were basically the military class. So I like that. We're starting to see the different types of apes, so although they're not making clear delineations of uh, structure in terms of what type of ape they are. Uh, I'm wondering if they'll ever do that, if they ever do something that's more down the line. Um, the end of the film obviously sets up an inevitable sequel, which, I mean, I'm all for as long as it remains you know, entertaining and interesting and has something to say. I mean, I felt like this, this movie had a lot to say about human nature, whether it be in apes or humans, um, and it was just it was a, a very multi-layered story. In fact... I think I read some reviews saying that there are some similarities that if you look at the Batman trilogy and the Planet of the Apes new trilogy, um, you had the first one was kind of like the setup, so Rise of the Planet of the Apes had all the setup that Batman Begins had, and then you just hit the ground running with this film, like you don't, there's no there's no setup anymore i mean you kind of do because you're establishing where you are now but you don't really have to do much more in order to understand the world like to get to from the last movie to really where the first real scene is of this film you just have basically um that opening sequence telling you about all the deaths and that's about it and that's all you need to get through to what you need to understand in order to be able to enjoy this film anyways that's kind of all i really wanted to say about the episode it uh about the movie sorry if you haven't seen it it's definitely worth watching it's uh extremely entertaining uh i really enjoyed this um i really enjoyed the first movie i was hoping this movie would be really good too but you never really know what to expect uh the again the cg is absolutely breathtaking circus uh delivers a phenomenal performance as caesar um he's a true character i mean I hope they start nominating him for, for you know portray, his portrayal of these characters because he does such an amazing job. Like it's not just a computer; like he's doing all the all the intonations of the character and the way that Caesar holds himself. Like that is Andy Serkis doing that motion capture. It's absolutely brilliant. And again, the voice work is phenomenal, uh, both for um, his character and for Copa's character. Like you really feel the so much pathos in the way that they're able to speak. So, anyways, this was fantastic. You gotta go watch this. Anyways, thanks for joining me for this uh, truncated episode. Uh, next time we have a spotlight episode, hopefully it'll be a little bit longer. Uh, I think the next one is Gardens of the Galaxy. Uh, I guess that's what's coming out in two, three weeks. So that should be exciting. August 1st, and then a week after that is the new Ninja Turtles movie, which I believe no one wants to see with me. Um, so that's unfortunate. If there's anyone out there who wants to actually see that movie, and then would want to uh, do an episode of Comic Shenanigans over Skype, please let me know. Uh, You can email me at shenanigans at gmail.com, like us on Facebook, post in our HC Realms thread uh, where we put up the episodes, although I've been a little lax in doing that as promptly lately. Um, And also please rate and review us on iTunes, I think I already said that, and also subscribe to us on iTunes, as uh, that's a way for us to uh, build the audience for the show. Also, if you do rate and review us on iTunes, please let me know what country you're from so I can make sure to read your comment on the air. Uh, To date, I think we have five ratings on the U.S. uh, iTunes, one from the U.K., uh, none from Canada, so I'm a little disappointed that my fellow Canadians are not uh, helping out the show. But uh, thanks to all those who have uh, rated rated, and reviewed us before on iTunes. It is very much appreciated. So uh, next episode will be coming out in probably probably by tomorrow, uh, the 15th or the 16th. And that will be the comic reviews episode for Wednesday, July 9th. And then uh, next week, episode 184, I think I'm going to be doing um, a comic talk episode looking at, at the Dan Slott's She-Hulk run. Uh, originally, that was actually going to be this episode, but I ended up not having a chance to record that and by the time i was finally going to sit down to record an episode guess what i just saw dawn of the plan of the apes so it kind of worked out so uh thanks very much for listening to me prattle on and i'll catch you next time Bye bye